Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, how did you first hear the gospel? How did you begin to read the Bible for yourself? For most of us, there was one or more people who shared something of the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. And the Lord worked through that to lead us to read the Bible for ourselves. This past week, I asked uh, our new deacon, Andre Hayes, uh, to write out uh, how he first heard the gospel so that we can publish his bio. We have on our website and also on our bulletin board um, a bio for each of our elders and deacons and some of the others who who have leadership positions uh, in our church. And uh, Andre wrote a great uh, testimony, um, but unfortunately we cannot fit it all into half of a half sheet of paper. But I would like you to hear what he wrote. Andre wrote, When I was five years old, I started attending a Christian school in Queens, New York. I attended this school from kindergarten to third grade. I did not learn much about God at this school, but I remember two things that I was informed of. Jesus Christ is God, and Samson was greatly strengthened by God. As a young boy, I remember talking, trying to talk to Jesus. I would bring, it would bring tears to my eyes because I was never sure if he'd heard me. I'd feel a little encouragement from the knowledge that Samson received strength from God when he asked. At the Christian school, I'd watch the cartoon story of Samson and request to see it again and again. I was fascinated by the strength God gave him. At the end of the cartoon, Samson prayed to God that he'd be strengthened one last time. God did not say anything to Samson, but it was evident that God heard his prayer because Samson was strengthened for one last battle. Though I held on to the idea that God could strengthen me for battle, this information was not enough for salvation. I was enrolled in public school at the age of nine. In public school, my eyes were open to the criminal nature of my community. It was cultural shock for me. In my first week of public school, The principal called for a lockdown because intruders had come into the building. Sometime after that, a classmate brought a gun to school and put it to my back. He seemed comfortable doing that as a joke. When I turned around, the handle was wrapped in black electric tape. He told me that he could easily wipe off fingerprints if he had to. Also, a bully and his friends approached me often with threats. Everyone seemed eager to fight and prove how tough they were. All I had was fear. This fear stuck with me and became greater over an 11-year period. It grew into despair. My response to this was to attempt to be worse than everything and everybody that frightened me. Then, around 20 years of age, I heard part of the gospel from a joyous stranger who seemed very eager to tell me about God. He first informed me of the peace and joy God gives to those who serve Him. He had to have noticed the dissatisfaction of life that was written on my face. If I remember correctly, he went on talking about other things, possibly more of the gospel, but I was already lost in the idea that God could free me from the deep dissatisfaction that had been my experience for many years. Soon after that encounter, I started attending the church that owned the Christian school I attended when I was young. God had given me the desire to find out more about Him. Once I found out that the Bible was God's Word, I read for hours each day. I wanted to know all that God had to say. 
In His Word, I found out about Jesus' sacrifice for me. I witnessed His power, I witnessed His perfection, I witnessed His love, and I believed. The Word of God is truth. It is living and active. Praise the Lord for what God did in Andre's heart and life. Think of how people evangelized Andre. The teachers at his Christian school taught him that Jesus Christ is God and taught him something of who God is and what God has done. When Andre was 20, a believer radiating the joy of the Lord approached Andre, who was a complete stranger to him, and eagerly did his best to tell Andre about God and having a relationship with God. God used those evangelistic efforts to draw Andre into the Word of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not have to be a pastor or a missionary or a deacon to evangelize. Christ's design for the church is that all believers would be involved in evangelism in some form to some degree. God has given us in Scripture examples of evangelism to to help us uh, to evangelize. And the greatest concentration of these examples of evangelism are in the book of Acts. And one of the best examples is the Apostle Paul. Because we learn so much in the New Testament about Paul the evangelist. In our text, we see the heart of this great evangelist. is revealed to us to follow as an example. Not, not to follow Paul's example exactly. He was an, an apostle of Jesus Christ in a specific place. He had a specific ministry. But the example of the Apostle Paul as an evangelist is given to us to apply to our situation. Or whether you are a student, uh, whether you are evangelizing neighbors on your street, uh, longtime friends, relatives, or you're going door to door, uh, witnessing to strangers. The example of the Apostle Paul is an example for us to apply to our lives as believers in evangelism, in the situations in which the Lord puts us uh, to be a witness for Him. I'm going to read to us our text, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12b through 18. Please stand in honor of the Word of God. Verse 12b. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching... I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. 
What is the context of this? Anytime that you read a portion of Scripture, you need to be mindful of the context. In chapter 8, the Apostle Paul began responding to something that the Corinthians wrote in their letter to Paul, something that they wrote about food offered to idols. Now, in chapter 8, Paul rebukes the Corinthians. They were eating in the temples of idols in complete disregard for some of their brothers who had been saved out of a life of idolatry. In the minds of the Corinthians, they had a right to eat in the temples because they had the knowledge that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. But Paul says in chapter 8, By eating in the temples of idols, they could be putting a stumbling block in the path of some of their brothers, making their brothers stumble back into a life of idolatry. Paul sets himself forward as an example to follow when he says in chapter 8, verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brothers stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul here is thinking of some of the rights that that he has in Christ. Uh, Some rights he has regarding eating meat. And for Paul, he would be thinking of the right to eat the unclean foods, the laws that had been unclean under the law of Moses, but were declared clean by Christ. Paul says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, even though I have a right before God to eat it, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's what he's teaching the Corinthians. They have not had this mindset. Their mindset has been on their rights and their knowledge. Because I know these things, I have a right to do this. But they had no regard for their brothers. And Paul says this is an example that is to be applied across the board to the various situations that we are in. And he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And then Paul proceeds in chapter 9 to give an example from his own life of foregoing personal rights for the sake of others in service of Christ. An example that Paul says we as believers should follow. His example is that as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he had a right to receive financial support from those to whom he ministered the gospel. So, he had come to Corinth, uh, he had preached the gospel there, Uh, by preaching the gospel he planted a church in Corinth, and he continued to minister to that church. That church was, in a sense, dependent upon the apostle Paul. Uh, He had, in a sense, planted the church, uh, given birth to them. He was their spiritual father. And uh, he had a right to receive financial support from them, not only when he was in their midst, but also to support him as he continued the work of an apostle. But Paul forwent that right that he had for support from the Corinthian church. And he's been talking about the reason why uh, he did not use that right. He did not use that, he forwent the use of that right for the sake of others in service of Christ. Now, his point is not that we need to forego receiving a salary. His point is 
that like the Apostle Paul, we need to forego certain rights that we have before God for the sake of others in service of Christ. So this is to be applied in many different ways. And we are in the middle of what Paul is saying here in chapter 9 about this. Now in in today's text, uh, he's going to move into uh, his heart as an evangelist. We'll get to see more of his heart as an evangelist. And it is meant to be an example to us. We're going to see, first of all, in our passage, how the Apostle Paul forwent his rights for the sake of the gospel. And we'll see, secondly, what drove the Apostle Paul in his evangelism. First of all, how the Apostle Paul forwent his rights for the sake of the gospel. Look at the second half of verse 12. Nevertheless, we, that would be Paul and his fellow missionaries who worked closely with him in the gospel. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Note that term, this right. We have not made use of this right. This right was his right to be financially supported by the Corinthians that he has spoken of in the previous verses. The Apostle Paul recognized that receiving financial support from the Corinthians had the real potential of being an obstacle in the way of the gospel in Corinth. It had the potential of getting in the way of unbelieving Corinthians hearing the gospel for what it is. You see, Paul had a greater concern for how the gospel was heard than for how many people heard it. If his greatest concern was how many people heard the gospel, he would take the financial support. So he could use every waking hour telling people the gospel. But his greatest concern was not um, how many people would hear the gospel. His greatest concern was how the gospel would be heard. That the gospel would be heard as it really is. We saw last time why Paul's acceptance of financial support from the Corinthians had the potential to be such an obstacle, an obstacle to the gospel being heard for what it really is. Turn over to second. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Second Corinthians chapter two. I was uh, second guessing myself. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse seventeen. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse seventeen. We looked at this last time. Paul says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Apparently, when Paul came to Corinth, he expected that men would arise who would peddle God's word. The philosophers commonly peddled their wisdom in Corinth. But God's word is never to be peddled. It is never to be proclaimed for the purpose of making money. That's the idea here of peddling the word of God. Proclaiming it for the purpose of making money. Trying to make money off of the word of God. 
Rather, the word of God is to be proclaimed sincerely. And you see that word sincerity here in verse 17. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Proclaiming the gospel for the purpose of profit contradicts the nature of the gospel. The gospel is good news of salvation by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of God's gift of righteousness that He gives by grace and is received by faith. It's not the message about something that you can buy. It's the message of a free gift that was purchased by the shed blood of Jesus, that was paid in full at Calvary. The peddling of wisdom was such an issue in Corinth that apparently Paul was concerned that if he accepted financial support, which he had a right to, that if he accepted financial support, his message might be seen in the same category as the wisdom peddled by the philosophers in Corinth. That that if he accepted the financial support, his message might be seen in the minds of some as something of men. Just like the wisdom of the philosophers, a wisdom of man. As a herald of the gospel of God, Paul forwent his rights in Corinth in order to remove the possibility of putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ being heard truly for what it really is. If people were to be saved, they had to see the gospel rightly. They had to see the gospel as the power of God and the wisdom of God. They had to see the gospel as a message from God about what God has done for our salvation. As a minister of the gospel, and even more so as an apostle, Paul had an irrefutable right to financial support from the Corinthians. This is a thought that Paul developed in the previous passage that we studied last time, and that he further develops in the next two verses of our text. Come back to our text, 1 Corinthians 9, and look at verse 13. In 13 he says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Paul's referring back to the Old Covenant. How God instituted this in the law of Moses. And you can read of these things in Leviticus, Numbers, um, and Deuteronomy. The Israelites were to bring a portion of their crops to the tabernacle, and then later on the temple, as an offering to the Lord. So if you were a farmer uh, who uh, grew um, olives and then made olive oil, Uh, From that, you were to bring a portion of the oil that you produced to the tabernacle as an offering to God. Uh, If you were a a farmer who uh, grew uh, grapes, Uh, usually the grapes would be grown for producing wine. It was the most common drink in that day. It was very diluted, not like the wine of our day. Uh, If you were such a farmer... Uh, then you were to take a portion of the wine that you produced and bring it to the tabernacle and offer it to the Lord. Uh, If you were a grain farmer, uh, you were to bring a portion of the grain uh, that you would harvest to the tabernacle as an offering to God. You were to bring the first portion. Also, the Israelites were to bring animal sacrifices to 
the tabernacle. Now the priests were to receive part of the crops and part of the, the meat from the animal sacrifices. This was God's design. This is how the priests were to be financially supported. The priests devoted their lives to the service of God at the tabernacle and then the temple, and they were to be fully supported by the offerings. But this did not start with the high priest Aaron and his sons, all the way back in Genesis 14. Who did Abraham give a tithe to? He gave a tithe to Melchizedek, who was priest of God most high. It is this practice that was instituted by God uh, that is in Paul's mind here in verse 13, when he asks, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. Now what is Paul's point? Look at the next verse. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now the ESV uses the word commanded. In the same way the Lord commanded. The New American Standard has the word directed. After studying it, I think that would be a better translation. In the same way the Lord directed that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul is not in sin um, because he refuses to accept the financial support. Right? In the same way the Lord directed that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. We see here in verse 14 that, that it has always been God's design that his ministers would be financially supported by those to whom they minister, and that the Lord Jesus made this explicit for ministers of the gospel. In verse 14, he says, The Lord commanded. Who's the Lord? Almost always, when the New Testament has this title, the Lord, it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Where, where do we find this command of the Lord Jesus? Well, Paul is referring to the instructions that Jesus gave when he sent his disciples out in pairs on their mission to Israel. Jesus did that at least twice in the Gospels. Uh, he sent out the twelve in pairs uh, to the lost sheep of Israel. Um, and then later on, he sent out 72 disciples in pairs to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let's turn back to Luke 10, Luke 10 to see what Paul is referring to. Luke 10 is the account of Jesus sending out the 72. The pertinent verse is verse 7, but to get the context, we're going to go back to verse 1. Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. 
and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Jesus tells them, don't bring a money bag. You know, don't, don't, don't bring a, a supply of money because you, you are to be financially provided for by these towns in which you minister the gospel. And you are to depend upon your Heavenly Father to provide for your material needs as you minister in these towns. And then he says in verse 7, remain in the same house. You know, hospitality was important in that society. Uh, you would not stay in a motel or a hotel. You would stay in the homes of those who would give you hospitality. He says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Speaking of his disciples and doing gospel ministry as their gospel laborers. And gospel laborers deserve wages from those to whom they minister the gospel. That's what Paul's referring to. Probably not just verse 7, but the whole context. As well as the, the, the passage you could look in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the twelve, and, and the wording is very similar there. So coming back here, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14 in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul understood Christ's words there not just to pertain to the 72 or the 12, but what Jesus was saying there would pertain uh, to gospel workers all the way until the end of the age. So in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul is further establishing his irrefutable right to receive financial support from the Corinthians. But look at what he says next in verse 15a. Verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Now he's not claiming to have made no use of these rights at any time in any place. You know, he did receive financial support in some other places. But he's talking about, uh, in his relationship with the Corinthians, um, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. You know, after reading what he said, you can think, is he trying to hint some, something here? Is he trying to, 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 to move us to, to now provide financially for him? No. I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. While the church in Corinth was obligated to offer financial support, the Apostle Paul was not obligated to accept it. He joyfully forwent his right for the sake of the gospel. It would not have been wrong for Paul to make use of this right among, among the Corinthians. And there were others who ministered in Corinth who made use of this right, it was not wrong for them to do so, but Paul had a singular passion for the gospel that in this specific situation, he renounced his right to material support. He refused to glean material benefits from those to whom he preached in Corinth so that it would not hinder reaping a spiritual harvest among them. Many of your decisions as a Christian, are not to be made by solely considering what does God permit you to do? 
Rather, many of your decisions are to be driven by the priorities that God reveals in Scripture. Paul here was not making a decision by solely considering what does God permit me to do. He can say, well, God permits me to receive the financial support, so I'll receive the financial support. Now, many of your decisions as a Christian are not to be made by solely considering what does God permit you to do. Rather, many of your decisions are to be driven by the priorities God reveals in Scripture. The Apostle Paul understood the priorities that God has revealed. And in living for those priorities, he gave up some of his rights. Does God permit you to purchase a car that costs $100,000? Yes. If he has given you the money, he permits you to buy a car that costs $100,000. But will you spend $100,000 on a car if you are passionate for the matters that Scripture teaches are of highest priority? I think not. The Apostle Paul was passionate about the spread of the gospel because of the supreme value that God has placed on the spread of the gospel. When you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, and you love Christ as your supreme treasure, you will joyfully give up your rights as needed in service of Christ. That's what we see in the Apostle Paul. Oh, beloved brethren, let me ask you. Out of love for God and devotion to the Lord Jesus, do you give up personal rights for the sake of the gospel? Do you give up personal rights for the sake of the gospel? Do you give up personal rights so that lost people will hear the gospel? Lost people that you know, lost people that you have yet to meet in our community, lost people on the other side of the world, the unreached peoples of the world, do you give up personal rights so that lost people will hear the gospel? Do you give up personal rights so that lost people will hear the gospel for what it is? If the deep desire of your heart is that Christ would be exalted, then you will give up personal rights so that lost people will hear the gospel and they'll hear it as it is. Not every Christian is called to be a full-time missionary or a full-time pastor, but every Christian is called to be involved in making disciples. For when Christ gave the Great Commission, He didn't just give it to His twelve apostles. He gave the Great Commission to the church. In the Great Commission, He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. The apostles died, died long ago, and we are not yet at the end of the age. So the Great Commission was not just for them. It's for us as the church until Jesus comes again. Every Christian is called to be involved in making disciples. Now different Christians have been given different gifts, different functions to play. And we're in different situations. But every Christian is called to be involved in some way in making disciples. And the Apostle Paul clearly was giving his all in evangelism. 
And there clearly is much that we can learn from his example. For in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he will say, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that, I think, is best seen as the conclusion to this whole section that we are studying. So it would be beneficial for us to understand what drove the Apostle Paul in his evangelism. He was so driven in evangelism that he didn't think twice about giving up an irrefutable right he had to financial support. A very significant right. We talked about last time about because he gave up this right, he was laboring night and day in in Corinth. He was laboring in the gospel and he was laboring in tent making. All right? He had no rest. All right? So he was giving his all in evangelism. There is much that we can learn from his example. And this is what Paul explains in the second half of our text what drove him in evangelism. Let's see that. What drove the Apostle Paul in his evangelism? Look at the second half of verse. 15. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What does Paul mean than to deprive me of my ground for boasting? We'll have to keep reading in order to find out. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul says his ground for boasting, he does have a ground for boasting, but his ground for boasting is not that he preaches the gospel. He says that necessity is laid upon him to preach the gospel. We have to ask what kind of necessity is laid upon him to preach the gospel. It is a divine necessity to preach the gospel that is laid upon him. Paul did not choose to be an apostle. Christ chose him and appointed him to his apostolic ministry. There was a necessity to preach the gospel that the resurrected and exalted Lord laid upon him. I want you to see this in two passages. First of all, Galatians chapter 1. Just a couple books to the right. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 and 16. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me, in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Let this sink into your hearts and minds. He says that God the Father set Him apart before He was born. And God the Father called Him by His grace and was pleased to reveal his son to Paul so that Paul might preach Christ among the Gentiles. Observe in this verse 
the purpose for which God set Paul apart. He set him apart so that Paul would preach Christ among the Gentiles. We read of Christ appearing to Paul and communicating this appointment to him. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 26. In Acts 26, Paul is in prison in Caesarea. And he is proclaiming the gospel to the rulers, to the authorities. I want to pick it up in verse 9. He tells his testimony of the Lord Jesus appearing to him and appointing him as an apostle. Acts 26, verse 9 Verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in, op- in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This is the necessity that is laid upon the Apostle Paul. God the Father chose him before Paul was ever born to be the apostle of Christ to the Gentiles. The risen and exalted Jesus Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And not only was Paul converted, but Paul was appointed by the risen and exalted Christ to be his apostle proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles for the rest of Paul's life. Coming back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, we can understand now what Paul says here. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. God, through Christ, 
has appointed me. And if I do not fulfill my apostolic ministry, if I do not fulfill the, God, the, the ministry of the gospel, I will be in direct disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Direct disobedience to God the Father. He was under divine necessity to proclaim the gospel. And so Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The word woe is used by the Old Testament prophets a good number of times. The word woe is a word that pronounces divine judgment. Here, the Apostle Paul pronounces divine judgment upon himself if he does not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Because divine necessity is laid upon him to preach the gospel, divine judgment will fall upon him if he fails to do so. He will be severely chastised by God if he does not preach the gospel. Just think of Jonah. How God sent the prophet Jonah to Nineveh to proclaim a message calling them to repent that implied that if they did repent, they'd be saved from the destruction that was coming upon them from God's hand. And think of how Jonah was chastised when he disobeyed that divine appointment. And he ran away from Nineveh, went in the opposite direction towards Tarshish. Jonah knew the chastisement of God, the chastisement of God upon his prophet, if the prophet disobeyed. Paul, as he says, divine necessity is laid upon me. But he is in the position that the prophet Jeremiah described. Turn back to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. After the book of Isaiah. The book of Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah was sent by the Lord to Jerusalem and Judea at a very dark time in their history. Jerusalem had rejected prophet after prophet after prophet, whom God had sent to them, calling them to repent. They continued in their idolatry. They continued in their pagan practices. They continued in their unfaithfulness to the covenant that God had established with them as a nation. And because they did not repent, after God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to them, what was going to come upon them was going to be severe chastisement. The fulfillment of the curses that were pronounced in the book of Deuteronomy, in which they would be almost utterly destroyed by a foreign nation and, and taken into exile. Jeremiah, let, let's see, chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, let me just make a side note right here. You see in those verses that I just read that our personhood goes all the way back to conception. 
The Lord said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. But this is a message for a different time. Did Jeremiah choose to be a prophet? Did Jeremiah choose to proclaim the word of the Lord? No. He was under divine necessity. Before he ever was born, before he ever was conceived in the womb, God knew him and consecrated him, appointing him as a prophet to the nations. Now let's go forward to chapter 20, verse 8. Chapter 20, verse 8. Jeremiah is speaking here. He says in verse 8, For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. So, his message is not being received. He's being rejected by the people as the Lord's prophet. The word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. Verse 9, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. He knew the divine necessity that had been placed upon him. He had been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be God's prophet to speak the words that the Lord gave him. And these words were not easy words to speak. And these words were being rejected. And everything within him was crying out, Stop proclaiming the word of the Lord. They don't receive it, and it brings persecution upon you. Just think of all the suffering that Jeremiah went through at the hands of the the people of Jerusalem. But he says, I have no choice in the matter. My my, my flesh doesn't want to proclaim the word of the Lord. But I have no choice in the matter. I'm under divine necessity. I have to continue to proclaim the word of the Lord. And so it was with the Apostle Paul. You can come back here to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Let's go on to verse 17. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Paul is saying here, in verse 17, that if he had made the choice to be a preacher of the gospel, then he would expect and accept a reward. Financial support from those to whom he ministers. But if instead, Paul preaches because of the will of his master, then he is entrusted with a stewardship. He knows that the first is not him. When he says there in verse 17, For if I do this of my own will. He knows, I'm, I'm not doing this because of my own will. I, I didn't sign up to be an apostle. 
I didn't volunteer to be a preacher of the gospel. God chose me. Christ appointed me. I, I, I don't do this of my own will. I do this because of the will of my Master. So the second is what applies to Him. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Now, I, I find the word in the ESV still confusing here in verse 17. I am still entrusted with a stewardship. After studying this in the original language and knowing that none of the other translations that I checked use this word still, I really don't think this word still should be in the translation. A more literal translation of it would be, I am entrusted with a stewardship. There's really no need to put this word still there. So what he's saying is, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a stewardship. Paul understood that preaching the gospel was a stewardship entrusted to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now in that day, a steward was usually a slave and was entrusted with managing his master's household or his manager's estate or his master's finances. So a steward was usually a slave and they were a manager their master entrusted something to them to manage on the master's behalf. The master's household or estate or finances. The master entrusted something valuable to the care of his steward. A steward was to manage it properly on behalf of his master. A steward worked to bring gain to his master, not to himself. Think of the parable that Jesus told about the talents. You have a master with three stewards. The master goes away for a period of time. He entrusts different amounts of money with the different stewards. Uh, one had maybe five talents, another I think three talents, another one. I might be wrong on the numbers. You get the idea. He entrusts his money to his stewards for the time while he's away. They are to manage his resources well. They are to make a profit for the master. They're not making a profit for themselves. They're making a profit for their master who has entrusted this to them. And so when the master returns, they have to give an account. And the master wants to find out, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? How much did you make for me with what I entrusted to you? Right, so a steward was not working to make something for themselves. They were working in order to make something for their master. Right. To give him a, a return. To manage his things well on his behalf. Now, Paul knew his proclamation of the gospel was a stewardship from his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing this freed him to forego his right to financial support from the Corinthians. 
He was accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ to faithfully carry out his responsibility of proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. Let's continue in verse 18. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul is asking not about his future rewards. He knew that there would be future rewards in heaven. He's asking about his present reward. Right now, as he ministers, what is his present reward? Paul says his present reward is that he may present the gospel free of charge. He has given up his right to the reward of financial support. He says, my reward is that I may present the gospel free of charge. Talk about the world's values being turned upside down. No one in the world would think like this. My reward, you know, the, the standard reward is financial support. My reward is that I get to preach the gospel without charging anyone. That's my reward. His values are very different from the world's values. The Apostle Paul we see here found great joy and satisfaction in presenting the gospel without accepting financial support from his listeners. And this is Paul's boast that he mentioned back at the end of verse 15. Look back at verse 15. He said, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. And now we know what his ground for boasting is. His ground for boasting is that, as he puts it in verse 18, he presents the gospel free of charge, not making full use of his right in the gospel. This was something that Paul spoke of when his apostolic ministry in Corinth was challenged or questioned or demeaned that the message he proclaimed was a message that he proclaimed without receiving any financial support for. That the message he proclaimed was a message that he proclaimed freely. That he proclaimed graciously. That was his boast. When his ministry in Corinth was challenged or questioned or demeaned, when he upheld the integrity of his message and ministry, he pointed to this. I have not taken a penny from anyone in Corinth. I have proclaimed this message freely. That was his boast. Now, how far apart Paul was from false teachers... The Bible speaks of greed as a common characteristic of false teachers. Turn over to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. Who were the false teachers of Jesus' day? They were the Pharisees. Look at what Jesus said as he pronounced woes upon the scribes and Pharisees as he was warning the people of Israel about these teachers. 
Matthew 23, we'll begin at verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Then go down to verse 25. 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of what? Greed and self-indulgence. These false teachers of Jesus' day were full of greed, according to Jesus. Now turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now go down to verse 3. 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They will teach heresy, and they will teach heresy in order to exploit you, in order to get money out of you. They're going to act out of greed. And then go down to verse 14. Verse 14, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls, They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So he says in verse 14 that these false teachers who are coming, they will be trained in greed, And he says they will be like Balaam in the Old Testament who loved gain, financial gain from wrongdoing. Turn over to Jude. Just a few books to the right. Second to last book in the Bible. Jude, verse 3. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So now go down to verse 11. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. And the false teachers that are coming are going to be just like that. Again, like Balaam, they will act out of greed. So, think about how Jesus spoke of greed as a characteristic of the false teachers of his day. Think of how both Peter and Jude, in warning us against false teachers in this age, they warn against those who are motivated by greed. If you encounter a preacher 
whose life and ministry reflect greed, flee from him. His heart is far from God. And it's a, a warning that he probably does not speak from God. He probably does not speak God's word truly. Now Paul stands in great contrast to these false teachers. Paul took joy in ministering to the Corinthians without accepting financial support. And he boasted in it. Because it so clearly separated him from the false teachers that would come to Corinth. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will, and will refrain from burdening you in any way. He's talking about financially. Verse 10, As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise, if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds." Paul speaks here about false apostles who are coming into Corinth. And Paul says, the reason why he did not accept, and there were multiple reasons, so this would be one reason why, a reason why he did not accept any financial support in Corinth was to undermine the claims of the false apostles who were coming there was no false apostle who would minister free of charge. And so he did not accept any financial support, even though he had the right to do so. It would have been right in God's eyes for the church to give that to him. He did not accept it because it was more important to him to undermine the false prophets who were coming the false apostles, to completely set himself apart from them. Why? For the sake of the gospel. So lost people will hear the gospel for what it is. Not as a message from man to make money, but as a message from God Almighty of what God Himself has done in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to save sinners. This message of a salvation that is a gift of God's grace received through faith in Christ, not by works, lest anyone should boast. This was what drove Paul. Talk about love for Christ. 
Talked about love for the church. Talked about love for the lost. If anyone was qualified to teach the truth, back in chapter 8, verse 1b, it was the Apostle Paul. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love does not hold on to personal rights, but love joyfully gives up rights. What drove Paul to love like this? What drove him to evangelize like this? We have seen it. The divine necessity that the Lord Jesus placed upon Paul. We saw that in verse 16. The stewardship with which the Lord Jesus entrusted to him. We saw that in verse 17. Paul took seriously the lordship of Christ. He took seriously Christ's complete rights over his life. He took seriously the revealed will of Christ for his life. Paul understood that he was a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ and that it was the most wonderful thing that he could be. Though Christ has not appointed you to be his apostle, he has commissioned you and me, brothers and sisters, to make disciples until the end of the age. And so I must ask you, beloved brethren, are you driven to be involved in the evangelism of the lost? Are you driven to be involved in the evangelism of the lost here and abroad? You may say, that doesn't make sense. How could I be involved in the evangelism of the lost abroad? If I'm here, how can I do that abroad? The church is to send its own members to the other side of the the world, to all the peoples of the world with the gospel. Now, if, if, if our brothers and sisters are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then they have to be sent. They have to be supported. They don't do it independently as lone rangers. They do it as members of the body of Christ. The whole body has to work together. And so, if the Lord's not calling you to go overseas with the gospel, to evangelize there, then He's calling you to send others. We are to be involved in world evangelism in whatever way the Lord would enable us to be in that. Either going or sending and supporting. And all of us can be involved in that supporting of the work of missions overseas. But it's not just abroad, it's also here. Are you driven to be involved in the evangelism of the lost here? You may say, I would go to the ends of the world with the gospel. But if you're not evangelizing here, then I do not believe that if you went there, you would evangelize there. We are to be driven to be involved in the evangelism of the lost here as well. When you take seriously the lordship of Christ, when you take seriously His complete rights over your life, when you take seriously the revealed will of Christ for our lives as He has revealed His will for us as the church of Jesus Christ, we are to make disciples of all the nations. And as you understand that you are a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ because He purchased you with His precious blood, and that it is the most wonderful thing you could be to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected and ascended Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, you will be driven to be involved in the evangelism of the lost. Perhaps you have this desire, but you do not know how to go about it. How how do I go about evangelism? 
If so, let me give you, very briefly, seven ways to start. Number one, pray. Pray. Pray that God would enable you to proclaim the gospel to others, that He would give you opportunities, that He would work in the hearts of others, that He would save souls as you share the gospel of Christ. Pray. Two, learn the gospel. Evangelizing is proclaiming and teaching and explaining the gospel. And so if you're going to evangelize, you have to understand the gospel. So learn the gospel. Number three, understand that Christ calls you to speak the gospel, not to change hearts. We can become so afraid that we're not going to be successful in our evangelism, so afraid that people are not going to respond positively, that we don't even open our mouth to speak the gospel. But you need to understand that Christ calls you to speak the gospel, not to change hearts. Changing hearts is what the Holy Spirit does. You don't have the power to change hearts. That's what God does in His sovereign grace. Our responsibility is to open our mouth and proclaim the gospel and and pray that God will use that in hearts. Number four, do not wait until you have the perfect opportunity, but bring up the gospel as the most important thing you could ever share with a person. If you are looking for the perfect, wide-open opportunity to share the gospel, you're probably never going to share the gospel. And part of the reason is that the world, in their unregenerate state, is hostile towards the gospel. So it's very likely that no matter how you share the gospel, no matter what opportunity you have, it's very likely that there is going to be some opposition in their heart to the gospel. But that can be overcome by the Spirit of God. Do not wait until you have the perfect opportunity to speak the gospel. Bring up the gospel as the most important thing you could ever share with a person. Don't wait until they're asking to hear the gospel. They probably won't ask to hear the gospel. You can bring it up very easily like this. My friend, I want to share with you the most important message in all the world. I want to share with you the most important truths you could ever hear. Will you sit down with me so that I can share with you? Just bring up for what it is. Don't, don't, Don't hide what it is. It's the most important truth that they could ever hear. You can bring it up that way. That'll get their attention. Number five, participate in one of the church's evangelism ministries. Local churches, including CFC, have various evangelism ministries. One of the reasons why we have evangelism ministries is to give training on evangelism. Evangelism ministries are not just for those who feel very competent in evangelism. Here at CFC, if you are a member of our church or you have been baptized here, you are qualified to participate in our evangelism ministries. Participate in one of them. Um, And and ask the others who are involved in that ministry uh, to to teach you how to evangelize. Number six, befriend people for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Befriend people for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And number seven, look for opportunities to help others to evangelize. Well, we are running out of time, so let's leave it at that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
we do thank you for this passage of Scripture inspired by your Spirit where you reveal to us the heart of the Apostle Paul whom you appointed to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. One of the greatest evangelists that you raised up and called. Oh Lord, may we learn from this example that you've given us in your holy word. Lord, show us how to apply this to our lives and our, the situations that we are in. Oh Lord, may we also be driven in evangelism. May we also be quick to give up personal rights for the sake of the gospel. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.